You are listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. The following teaching was given by one of the missionaries that our church supports. Jesus has called the church to go into all the world and proclaim the good news, and our support for missions is an important part of fulfilling the Great Commission. We hope you enjoy this teaching and are encouraged to participate in the great task of taking the gospel to all people. I, I have a different kind of a privilege this morning. I'm, I'm not speaking myself, but uh, our third son, John, is going to be coming up here and uh, sharing uh, the word this morning. And we are really, really grateful for that. First off, I'm, I'm just grateful uh, beyond description that all four of my kids are walking with Christ. Um, that, that is a mercy that I don't take for granted, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, Johnny's life began a long time ago. He was, he was born to a good mother. <laughs> a very sketchy father, but a good mother. Um, and uh, now we, we've watched Johnny grow up, uh, his desire to uh, walk with Christ, uh, which has been cemented throughout uh, the years. Uh, after he graduated from University of Maryland, uh, he actually went into the Marine Corps. He spent four or five years, five years in the Corps. So uh, it, it's Semper Fi from my, my dad was a Marine, me being a Marine, then Johnny being in the Corps. We got a three-generation thing going on there. Uh, we're, we're really grateful for that. But when he um, came back and got out of the Marine Corps uh, and started getting engaged and involved, one of the things that he has done is doing work with the persecuted church. So he's still actually in the Marine Corps Reserve. Um, and he's been doing work with the persecuted church, however. And so we're going to be hearing about that this morning, the persecuted church in general. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about international Christian concern, which is one of the missionary groups that we support. But Johnny's going to be particularly talking about a situation going on in Nigeria. And I encourage you to hear it, to be challenged and encouraged. But also, uh, in a few moments, we're going to have two opportunities, and Johnny will talk about this a little bit at the end. Uh, we're going to have the missions team come forward and be praying for Johnny and International Christian Concern and the, the folks suffering in Nigeria. But on top of that, we're going to take up a love offering. Everything that comes in is going to go work to, uh, to support a farm project that you're going to hear about in just a few minutes that is helping the Christians over there. So it's my privilege to have my son, John Hicks, come forward and share with us this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I got to say this. Hi, Mom, Pa. Uh, grandparents are watching on Facebook Live, so got to say hi to them. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, lessons that we can learn from the persecuted church. It's obviously a uh, very important thing, um, and a little bit about me first, just as an introduction. My name is Johnny Hicks. Obviously, I'm uh, Brett's son. Um, I've been working at ICC now for about two and a half years, uh, as specifically working in the area of Africa, uh, which has taught me a lot more than I thought I would ever know about Africa. Uh, it's a continent that a lot of people kind of forget about uh, in general. Um, but with that, uh, a little bit of, oh, and then below that you can see also missions travel. I've been actually all over the world at this point, been very fortunate to be able to travel and see a lot of the world, um, specifically seeing Christians who are suffering uh, in many different places. And one thing you'll learn, persecution's everywhere, um, and the persecuted have a lot to teach us about faith. Um, so a little bit about uh, ICC. I know that this church has been supporting ICC for a very long time, longer than I've been alive, uh, or almost as long as I've been alive. Um, but 
For those who don't know, ICC is a persecution-based ministry. Uh, what that means is we're trying to reach out and serve the persecuted church around the world. Uh, with that, we have three ways that we do that, and it's called the three A's. First, we raise awareness. We go out and we try and find stories uh, from the persecuted that we can then bring back to the West. Uh, the West, we, we've been very fortunate here. Persecution's very low, uh, even though we still suffer it because it's part of the walk with Christ. Uh, it's not to the same level that you would see around the world. And we don't understand persecution because of that. Uh, we're very separated from it, whereas most of the world is not. It's, they're on the front lines with, the, with spiritual battles every single day. So the first way is try and bring awareness to this top, topic of persecution. The second way uh, is providing practical assistance. So we don't want to just take from the persecuted church, uh, meaning we don't want to just take the, their, their emotions, their feelings, their pain and suffering and bring it back here. We also want to bring help to them. It's something that we're called to in the Bible, right? Uh, we are one body in Christ. We need to uh, suffer together. So one way we can do that is by, by providing practical assistance. That practical assistance takes many forms. Uh, we can give medical care. We can give uh, small businesses. We can give relocation, whatever they need. Honestly, we try and fit the need that they've uh, had because of the persecution. The final way is we do advocacy, and that's the third A. Advocacy for us means uh, we try and work alongside the U.S. government to put pressure on foreign governments to stop persecution that's taking place in their countries. Um, you can see this in working with Pakistan where they have blasphemy laws. If you say something against Islam, a Christian can easily be arrested, uh, thrown in jail. They can suffer because of that. Um, what we can then do is just get the U.S. government to step in and say, this is wrong, you should not be doing this, and try and get them to repeal, the, repeal those laws. So those are the three A's, awareness, assistance, uh, and advocacy. And again, ICC does this in about 30 countries currently around the world. So we're working uh, all over the place. If you can go to the, uh, the next slide. Uh, today we're going to be specifically talking about persecution, and again, I will focus more on, on what I know, which is going to be Africa or Nigeria specifically. Um, but I do want to define what we're talking about. Persecution is a, a very wide topic. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, so we're going to define it. What is it? Then we're going to go into where is it happening? How does it manifest? So what does it look like or what can it look like? Uh, and then what also can we learn from those persecuted? You get it? Next slide. All right, first though, obviously we want everything that we do and say to be founded in the Bible. Um, it is God's word. It is our ultimate law for what we should be doing and how we should be interacting. Um, so just wanted to point out a couple of verses uh, that really speak to persecution, understanding, though, that this theme is throughout the entire Bible. And I'm only going to read a couple of these. First, uh, if you look at Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this actually is telling us that though it may seem in our worldly wisdom that persecution is a bad thing, it's actually a, you're blessed if you're persecuted because it means you're living righteously for God. Next, 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Again, what this shows us, if you're living a godly life, you will be persecuted. And if you're persecuted, that more than likely means you're living a godly life. Not always, but it, it, it points you towards that. Third, Romans 12.13, blessed are those who persecute, or bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Uh, and this goes back to love needs to be our basis for everything, right? Um, you will see, and I've seen it and I've felt it in the past, when you meet persecuted, every now and then you will see hatred come out of them. And that's not the right reaction. And it's the same for us. When we see suffering, a lot of times we want it to lead towards hatred. 
We want to see justice enacted against our enemies or against those who are persecuting. Uh, but that's not the correct response. Uh, we'll try and point some of this out as I talk about the situations in, in other countries. Uh, these other ones are just references, and there's many, many more. If you just Google persecution uh, in the Bible, you can find a bunch of verses. Uh, but it is prevalent throughout the entire Bible. All right, so what is persecution? Uh, we're gonna, I, I just want to define this again. Um, understanding persecution can mean um, anything from attacks on different ethnicities, different races, different religions other than Christianity. It can mean a wide-ranging thing, uh, amount of things. But for ICC and what we're talking about specifically, it's hostility shown to any Christian or Christian community because of their faith activity or faith identity. All right? Uh, and what that specifically means, uh, there are three key factors in any act of persecution. First of all, it has to be hostility, right? It has to be showing some sort of aggression, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever that is. It's got to show hostile action. Two, it's got to be because they're Christian. Again, for us, uh, there are other organizations that work for different types of groups, again, ethnic groups or socioeconomic groups, whatever it is. ICC specifically works for Christians. We want to serve our suffering brothers and sisters around the world. So it, it needs to be because they are Christian, and it needs to be for their faith activity or faith identity. What that means is either you're getting attacked or you're having some hostile act towards you because you identify as a Christian and the other person knows that. You might not be doing something specifically Christian. You don't have to be evangelizing. You don't have to be in a church or worshiping or anything like that. You could be going to the grocery store. Somebody comes and attacks you because of it. You'll also th see things like social boycotts where communities will turn on uh, entire areas of their community that they know are Christian, stop them from getting jobs, things like that, okay? So that's your faith uh, identity. And then faith activity is obviously more those who are doing work of the gospel. They're living out their, their Christian life, and because of that, they get attacked for their faith. There's hostile action, right? Um, and that's more so evangelists, missionaries, pastors, people who are in church, uh, worshiping, those kind of activities, okay? Uh, so, again, definition of persecution, uh, hostile act or hostility shown to any Christian or Christian community because uh, of their faith activity or faith identity. And that's what we're going to be basing everything I'm talking off of. Uh, now, where is persecution happening? Uh, I want you to understand, again, it's everywhere. Uh, if we just look, the Islamic world is one of the ones you'll see mainly going throughout uh, right now around the world. Uh, it, it, there we've got Iran, Iraq, Indonesia, Yemen, Nigeria, many, many other Islamic countries that are persecuting Christians. You've got communist countries in China, North Korea, Eritrea, Vietnam. All of those heavily persecute the Christian church. You've got Hindu uh, majority countries in India and Nepal, where a lot of people in the West would say Hindus are very peaceful. Well, for Christians in these countries, it's not that way. You've got Buddhist-majority countries in Sri Lanka and Myanmar, where Christians are also suffering massively at the hands of persecution. Uh, and then you've also got Christian-majority countries. You've got Mexico. You actually have Ethiopia. You have Kenya. Countries where, even though Christians are the majority of the population, or they have it stated in their constitution that Christianity is the basis, that doesn't mean there aren't certain sects of Christianity that aren't suffering at the hands of those of a different set of beliefs, okay? Um, so it literally is happening everywhere, and that's something we need to understand. Uh, the Pew Research Center, which is a huge national organization, uh, does a lot of studies about 
basically everything, found that about 75% of the world lives under severe religious restrictions, okay? Um, again, we're very free here in the West, and it's not something that we're used to or we can really understand unless you go outside of our context uh, and really step into their world. Next, how does persecution manifest? Uh, again, there are numerous ways that it can, it can happen. Uh, some of the personal ways, obviously murder is right there at the top and it's a horrible act. It takes family members uh, away from their families. A lot of times you'll see young men getting slaughtered because uh, in other countries, young men are still the basis of the economy, the basis of the family. And when those young men are taken away, the family no longer is able to hold together. Uh, you have displacement, you have beatings, arrests, uh, imprisonment and discrimination, along with a whole host of other things. Basically, if there's a way that they can show their hostility towards you in another country or in these areas, that they, they will use that as persecution, okay? Um, also, do want to say, this is not everybody, obviously. Not all of these countries and not everybody in any of these countries are persecuting. It's just certain sects that are, or certain uh, powers that be that, that are able to, to bring this to bear. But there's also communal violence, all right? So you've got the personal, which is attacks on individuals. You also have attacks on communities. As I said before, you can see things like large-scale attacks where entire communities are raided, uh, whole hosts of people are killed, uh, villages are burned down, um, churches are destroyed. Uh, you can also see things like riots taking place. We've seen it in India where uh, thousands of Hindu nationals were able to come out and uh, attack Christians who supposedly had gotten a, uh, a Hindu leader killed. Uh, and it turned out that wasn't the case, all right? So there's, there's a whole host of ways that persecution can manifest. Um, again, if they can think of it, they can do it. Uh, now specifically, what I'm gonna talk to you about is Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria is actually one of the largest countries in the world. It's number six in total population, all right? Uh, and, and because of that, it's very important country, especially to the continent of Africa. It's one of the largest economies in Africa. It has about 200 million people currently today living there. And it's about 50-50 split between uh, Muslims and Christians. All right, so it's a very diverse country. Um, and some facts that we don't even have up here. Uh, there's about 250 different ethnic groups. So that adds a lot of strain and strife to their relationships. There's also about 450 different distinct languages, which means talking to each other can be very difficult at times, all right? Uh, their official language, actually a business language, is English because of that. Uh, so it makes Nigeria a very diverse population. There's a lot going on, and because of the size of it, it has a lot of global impacts. Um, but some uh, really important facts that I want you to understand, Nigeria has been suffering religious strife for centuries at this point. Uh, if you go back to the 1800s, there was something called the Sokoto Caliphate. Uh, this was back in, to be literally right at the beginning of the 1800s, a guy named uh, Usman Danforio built up a caliphate there in northeastern or northwestern Nigeria that spanned multiple different countries, large uh, areas. And that has led to a lot of problems here in the future uh, for Christians, where uh, they would say the Islamic um, faith has had too much power, has had a lot of power in Nigeria over the political realm over people's lives, and it's led to a lot of strife. Uh, you've got the Biafran War in the 1950s. This is actually in southeastern Nigeria, where uh, people were trying to fight that Islamic uh, leadership. Uh, and it's one of those different ethnic groups that said, we want to be free. And part of that was a religious war as well. They were Christian versus the Muslim, all right? So that also led up, even in the 1950s, 
And then about 18 years ago, it significantly increased. Uh, what we saw was groups such as Boko Haram, which came around. This is an Islamic insurgency in the northeastern part of the country. You also have uh, what, we, what we're designating, and others have said different things, but the Fulani militants, all right? Uh, the Fulani are an ethnic group of about five million people that span all of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, they're migrant herders, uh, and they're about 99% Muslim. They're very heavily indoctrinated, um, and because they're migrant, it makes it impossible, or it makes it very hard for them to get education. And without that education, uh, it's much easier for radicals to then make them radicalized as well. Uh, and this is one of the things we'll actually be focusing on here today. Uh, the last thing is Sharia law actually uh, is instituted in the 12 northern states of Nigeria. Nigeria's constitution is supposed to be secular. It states in there that uh, there is no religious uh, state religion over all of Nigeria. Despite this, they do have Sharia law in 12 of the state's constitutions. Uh, and that leads to a lot of issues for Christians being marginalized, uh, being attacked, uh, and not being supported by their government up in those 12 northern states. All right, so as I said today, uh, what I see and I think a lot of others also see is the biggest issue. A lot of people would think it's Boko Haram. Uh, you, most of you have probably heard about them. In 2014, uh, Boko Haram kidnapped over 275 girls from a schoolhouse in northeastern Nigeria. Um, they constantly conduct attacks. Millions have been displaced. Tens of thousands have been killed over the last two decades because of this group. Um, despite that, I think because the world has focused on it um, and the Nigerian government has focused on it, they've kind of been able to uh, back up or, or fight Boko Haram relatively effectively. What we're going to talk to you more about is the Fulani militant crisis. Uh, so if you split Nigeria from north to south uh, in half, the southern half is Christian, the northern half is Muslim, and it's actually pretty true across all Africa. The Islam took over the north, Christianity took over the south, and even individual countries have it that same way. I don't know why, uh, but that's generally how it plays out. Because of this, the Fulani, who occupy much of north, uh, northern Nigeria and who are predominantly Muslim, uh, have been actually migrating further and further south. And there's a lot of reasons people say that this has been happening. They say it's... Uh, because of desertification, it's global warming, it's uh, historical, they've been allowed to do this for generations, there's been free movement throughout uh, the continent of Africa for thousands of years, many different reasons that they say uh, that the Fulani are moving further south. Um, one of the big issues with this though, the Fulani, who are again Muslim, are coming into contact with the Christians who are farmers, majority, uh, majorly farmers in the south, okay? And so right in the middle, what's called the middle belt, it's about nine different states right there in the middle of Nigeria. Uh, if you go to the previous slide real quick, uh, you can see where that yellow and green line meet actually. The states on either side of that yellow and green line, that's the middle belt of Nigeria. And this is where this Fulani crisis is happening still today. All right, um, and you can go back to the next slide. All right, so that middle belt area, Fulani herders or militants are moving south. Christian farmers who've been living in those areas now for thousands of years, as they would say, uh, have been farming the land, and they're coming into conflict. The government, one of the main issues is the government of Nigeria is not doing anything about this. In 2018, uh, I was able to track almost 2,000 people killed by this conflict, all right? Um, and that's across those nine different states. 
the Nigerian government has not held anybody accountable for it, not prosecuted anybody, and they're not really doing much to stop these attacks from happening. Uh, and there's several reasons why. One, they label the conflict as historical. They say it's a herder-farmer problem. Herders and farmers have been in conflict all the way back since, really, Cain and Abel, if you're a Christian, right? Uh, it's the first fight that really happened in, in uh, the world. Ever since that time, herders and farmers have been in conflict. We've seen it here in the U.S. back in the 1800s. We had the same thing. But the Nigerian government's saying, oh, it's just this, and there's nothing we can do about it. We're not going to stop it from happening. You've also got that they, again, they never prosecute any of the attackers. They're saying, one, it's not the ones, nobody knows who the attackers are, which is a problem if you're the government, you can't control these attacks from happening in your own country. Um, two, it leads to a kind of impunity. These attackers know that if they go in and raid a village, they're probably going to be okay. They're not going to be in trouble from the government or from those who are defending the villages because you're not allowed to own weapons in Nigeria anyway. Uh, and third, the military has also been accused of a lot of these atrocities. So one major attack took place last year uh, in what's called Adamawa State, the far eastern part of the country, where Fulani had come in and raided a village and killed almost 200 people. The Nigerian Air Force then shortly after that decided to use bombs as a deterring method. I'm military. You don't use bombs to deter. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, what it did lead to, though, was nobody trusted the military at that point to protect them. Uh, I have, and I've seen uh, pictures, we have our, our guys who've gone out there and seen it, where people were actually killed because of that. Uh, and this leads to a lack of trust in the military, who are the ones supposed to be protecting uh, the Christians and these citizens from these kind of attacks. All right. So all of that makes it so that nobody really trusts the Nigerian government um, and shows that either... In my head, they're either just completely inept and unable to stop it, in which case they need help from the outside, or two, they're actually some sort of complicity there. We're not sure which, um, but it, it has led to a big issue. Because of this crisis, literally millions have been displaced. And displacement, uh, again, we don't really see that here in the West. Uh, we haven't seen it for hundreds of years since um, really uh, Europeans came in and conquered this country. <laughs> but uh, millions have been displaced, and the problem is because these are farmers who are being displaced, the vast majority of which are being uh, displaced are farmers, no access to land means they can't provide for themselves. They have no economic basis. They're actually becoming a strain on their other family members when they have to move in with them, okay? Uh, so the displacement of people has led to a huge burden on other Christian communities, but it's also leading to a massive food shortage in Nigeria, which is and an extraordinarily fertile country. So the fact that there's a food shortage in what is known as the food basket of that area points to a massive issue that's taking place. Uh, and then one last main thing, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of children are not able to make it into school. Um, because these families are being pushed out of their hometowns, out of their communities, the children are no longer in a stable environment where they can be taught. And what this leads to is further on violence down in the future. When kids can't get educated, they're more easily radicalized. They also, what you'll see in northeastern Nigeria with Boko Haram or with the Fulani, they are being brought in as soldiers. You've heard of child soldiers in East Africa. It's still a thing. It's a thing in West Africa as well in Nigeria. So all of these are massive issues. And what you can see, uh, if, you, if you look into it a little bit, about 90% of those killed last year in 2018, uh, or out of the 
tens of thousands that have been killed in the last 20 years are Christians. Uh, so when the government says, no, this is a conflict, that doesn't really play out when the numbers are 90% 90, 90 dead on one side. It's not a conflict, it's a massacre. All right, if you can go to the next slide. One way, that Nigeria, or one way that ICC is actually trying to help, uh, we started an initiative called the Nigeria Communal Farms. Um, what these look like, uh, we've been able to start eight over the past year. Uh, we go in and we try and find the communities who are most affected, those who've been pushed off of their land. Uh, in each farm, we're able to help about 75 families. Now, because it's Nigeria and they live a little bit different than us, that's about 500 people per farm, actually. We've a we, we found about five to six people per family. Uh, that are helped. We try and get about 60 to 100 acres of land that we're allowed to uh, rent or that the communities that we're going to will allow us to use. Uh, and then we give all of the implements for those farms. So we identify 75 families most in need and we say, all right, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna hire the tractor that's gonna plow the land. We're gonna provide the fertilizer, the seed, the pesticide, uh, any, anything you need to stop, um, or the herbicides as well, uh, we'll provide the sacks for when you harvest it. We'll provide everything, we just need you to provide the labor. And one major thing that we've seen from this is it, instead of just bringing the aid to the person saying, here's food, you can survive, it's bringing dignity back to the people. These are farmers, These are, this is what they want to do, and when we went in and asked, this is what they said they wanted to do. We want to farm, that's our job, this is our livelihood. Uh, and so we've been able to help several thousand uh, people over the past year actually get back to what, they're uh, what they want to do, which is farming. Uh, and it leads to sustainability because when you farm, you're able to take some of those crops and replant it in the next season. You're able to provide for your family food because you're obviously growing it yourself. And then you can hopefully, if you get enough of a crop, then sell some of it, which will allow you to provide um, the funds that you need to send your kids to school or the clothing or, uh, maybe buy your own plot of land down the future. Um, so what we've seen is actually it's, it's working pretty well. Um, this is our way of trying to help relieve this crisis. The last thing, it does relieve the burden on the entire community as well. These families are no longer having to be hosted or supported by their relatives or friends in other parts of the country uh, where they aren't from uh, and where they can't really do much to aid those people as well. So we're trying to do a lot of things with this one specific um, project. All right, um, and this is kind of what I wanted to focus in on. This is one of the specific attacks that we saw actually. Um, I, I have personally met Maurice. Uh, so this lady's name is Maurice Giduel. In December uh, of 2017, there was a raid on her village. And this is a pretty common theme that you'll see throughout these attacks in Nigeria. Uh, dozens of men raided the village um, with, and they're using weapons that are not legal in Nigeria, that the communities aren't allowed to have. Um, and honestly, a lot of times that the military doesn't even have enough of because it's a relatively poor uh, military. Uh, but they're using AK-47s. They have machine guns loaded up on trucks. Uh, and they usually, what they do is they drive into a village and just start shooting. What this does is it creates chaos, right? People start running every which way to try and find safety because they have no way to defend themselves uh, and because um, they want to get away and hide. Maurice is one of these examples. Uh, these men drove into her village and started shooting. They started burning down buildings. Her and her son 
started running for the woods. As they were running, her son got caught. And as she's running ahead of her son, I'm sorry if I cry about this. Whew. Did not expect that to happen. Um, as she's running, she hears her son start crying out to Jesus. She turns around, and they're slaughtering him. She is frozen in fear at this point. Imagine yourself as a parent. You turn around, and your son is now being slaughtered in front of your eyes. She freezes in fear and starts praying to God. This is when these men come up to her after that and start slashing her. And you can see here in the picture, this is a picture of her hand that I, I actually was able to take. Uh, the first swing took off a couple of her fingers, okay? They don't stop there. She raises her arm to block the next attack. And if you look a little bit further up, they slash her arm. After this, uh, as she falls down now in pain, clearly, she's still crawling out to Jesus, asking for God's help. They slash her then on the back of the head and across the back multiple more times. They end up stealing everything that she has on her and leaving her for dead. Her husband, who is a pastor in the village, is away at the time. He is actually returning to the village, uh, and this is something that you'll learn, um, and it's one of our new projects because of this specific attack. He's away trying to charge his phone. There's no electricity in this village at all. So he's in a different village trying to charge his cell phone. He's on his way back with that cell phone when he hears the gunshots, and because he's the head of the household, he runs straight to his house, finds nobody there, obviously terrified as well himself. It's several hours later, as, as the attack has died down, the people have fled, the military is still not there. Some friends of his tell him that they've seen his wife and son's body. He walks out, and the first thing his wife says is, please give me water, because she's still alive. But he sees his son, jeez. Oh, She sees his son's body, or he sees his son's body laying there with multiple spears stuck in it. This is what we as, as a country cannot understand fully. It's only because these people have a different socioeconomic status and because they're not of the same religion that they're getting these attacks happening to them. They have no way to defend themselves, and yet this, this father still runs to try and protect his family and then finds them already dead. So the good news here, the husband does find her and is able to bring her water and is able to rush her to the hospital. So this attack again took place in December 2017. Now I was able to travel to Nigeria in March of 2019 and meet Maurice in her village. This is Maurice in March of 2019. We had just provided a farm to this village and because of that, she is out still suffering massive pain. Again, had fingers chopped off, slashes across the arm from the machete, across the head, across the neck, and the back. It's about 110 degrees out there. I am relatively in shape. I was suffering from walking around. This is what I came up to, is her bent over taking care of the farm that we've given her. She is out there trying to provide for her family. She still has another five children. Her husband is still alive. So her, her husband and her kids are out trying to, to work this farm. When I talk to her, 
there were two things that I really noticed. One was joy. It was amazing. She was smiling. The only, the only thing she asked for, one was help with the pain because she still feels fire throughout her body where she was cut. Two was that we would pray for them. That was it. No more aid. She didn't want anything else. She just wanted us to pray for her. She also didn't want anything to happen to the attackers. That was not her request. She wasn't asking for aid to go after and prosecute those who had slaughtered her son in front of her. All right? And this goes back again to the Bible verse, we need to bless those who persecute us. It was incredible to me to meet a woman who had been attacked in such a way and yet was not hateful towards those who had done it. Now, I will say that doesn't mean there isn't still fear. Um, we have since tried to, be help, tried to help her medically, uh, and when she went to one of the hospitals, there were a number of Fulani, and I don't think this is fair in a sense. It's, again, not all of the Fulani who are doing this, okay? I need to make that clear. It is certain sects among them or groups among them. She was afraid to go into that hospital because there were Fulani present. That doesn't mean we won't still suffer from our, sin, our own sinful nature because of this world, this fallen world. Um, but she had no hate towards them, which was quite incredible to see. So if you can go to the next slide. Um, so again, some of this is my personal uh, what I learned from meeting them. Uh, and this is just one of many, many examples uh, that I've had when I've gone overseas and met these people where they live. One, God gives strength. And it's an immense strength. You can go through the worst suffering in the world, and as long as God is on your side, you can handle it. This is huge for us here in the West, where, again, our lives are relatively easy comparatively. Um, that doesn't mean we're not still struggling with our own issues and our own problems. But if these people can go through these kinds of traumatic experiences, that's got to give us great hope that we can go through what we're suffering here today. There's also no struggle that is too great for God. These attacks are taking place in countries like Nigeria and China and Iran and Iraq and Syria. And if you look at it, where the church is growing the most is the church where the uh, the countries where the church is being attacked the most. That, that's an incredible sign of the faithfulness and glory of God. People are going to try and shut it down. God will not be stopped. God also gives unending love. Again, as a man, as a Marine, I would also think, or at least I hope, I would rush to my family's aid when I start, started hearing gunshots and knowing there's an attack taking place. But I don't know. I've never experienced it. This pastor and his wife did. And they were able to run to protect their family. All right? God gives incredible love for your family if you, if you rely on him, but also for your enemies. If you know me, and I know a lot of you do, I, I am pretty hardcore on the justice side of things. <laughs> um, I would want to see justice done. I'm sure of it towards those who attacked me or attacked my family, especially if it was my family. To not see that kind of hatred from a woman who suffered immensely is quite incredible. God can give immense love, even for those who hurt us most. And it's that kind of love that is going to be transformative. Next, persecuted are everywhere. 
if they are living righteously, if you are living righteously, you will be persecuted. It's not a question. It's not a doubt. It's a when. You can survive it. And it's what's going to spread the gospel most. When we stand up to that persecution, when we survive it and we move on with love, that's what you see bringing the gospel and really moving it forward. Again, the persecution we're going to suffer here today is not the same, at least not yet. Who knows in the future what happens. But you will suffer persecution at some time, and how you react to that persecution can change the world. These communities in Nigeria that suffer these attacks, when they show love, will do far more to spread the gospel uh, than any attacks on them will stop it. Finally, these are not just faceless victims. I know, again, we're very separated, and this is why we have the awareness aspect of, of what we do at ICC. A lot of times, it feels good to give that money or to help in whatever way we can, but they're not faceless victims. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Uh, we are all one body. We need to understand and be praying for them. One great thing about this is God knows everybody. For God, it's very personal. We need to be acting that way, though, too, for the persecuted church. Um, we need to be remembering and praying for those who are suffering around the world and not in a for us way, but in a glory for God and, and, and a care and love for them. It shouldn't come from pity. It should come from love. All right, now, what can we as the church here in the West do to try and help fight this? The number one request I've heard, and I know the other, the other people that work at ICC who've traveled have heard, is prayer. Prayer is huge. There's a reason we call it spiritual warfare a lot of times. Prayer is the one thing those who are most persecuted want. They want to know that there are others around the world who do care for them. All right? So when you pray, it brings a ton of hope and, and, and love to those who have suffered. But to be able to pray effectively, we need to pay attention to what's happening around the world. It's very easy for us to get lost in our daily lives. I am very fortunate with the job I have. I get to be paid to pay attention to the things that are happening around the world. It's very easy for us in the U.S. and in the West to get sucked into our daily lives here. We are very busy. We have a lot going on. That doesn't mean we, can't, we are not supposed to care for those around the world who are suffering. We are supposed to uh, suffer with them when they suffer. To do that, you have to pay attention. And there are plenty of ways to do that. You can look at ICC's website. You can look at the news. You can follow other groups, such as VOM or Open Doors, who all do the same thing. They're going to tell you the stories of the persecuted, but you need to be paying attention to that. Two, you can, you can give assistance. We can't do the work we do without partners, such as this church here, which I know has been a massive uh, aid to our organization, as well as other missionaries around the world. But it's not just through money that we can help. You can volunteer. There's plenty of ways you can serve. And again, persecution is not just overseas. There is persecution that takes place here. You can aid those by volunteering here in the U for those in, in the U.S. Um, who are suffering persecution. You can help organizations like ICC or Open Doors. Uh, and there's ways you can do that through helping fundraise or helping, uh, I know Mr. Dykeman here hands out our magazine on a weekly basis to try and help raise that awareness. There are plenty of ways you can volunteer. You just need to find out how. 
you can spread the word and help raise that awareness through handing out magazines, by telling other people about the stories that you've heard of, and helping them understand that persecution is a real thing. The number of times I've talked to people here in the U.S. and they've had no idea what persecution is, or that it's still taking place constantly around the world, and honestly, at a greater, uh, there's more persecution now than there ever has been in the in the history of the world. They don't understand because they're far, so far separated it from it. It's a lot easier if everybody in the church spreads that word than if one or two of us do. Three, you can help sign up, sign petitions that go out. Petitions can move things. And I just need to point this out because if you, if, if ICC is able to fill a petition and send it to a congressman, that congressman will listen. And we have seen great things happen. Uh, I don't know if you know the name Asya Bibi. Uh, it was a lady in Pakistan a couple of years ago was arrested because she blasphemed Islam and just said, no, I'm a Christian, Islam is wrong. She was arrested and thrown in jail and put on death row for that. It took about 12 years to get her out of jail. But it's only because the U.S. government and other foreign governments put enough pressure on Pakistan to release her that she was released this year. So petitions, calling your congressman, getting the U.S. government and other governments involved can help a ton. But it takes you all to do that, not just the NGOs or the nonprofits. Um, so, uh, to end, I think I would like to pray um, for Maurice and for the situation in Nigeria. Um, if you couldn't tell, it's pretty close to my heart at this point. Um, if you have any questions, if you have anything you would like to know about, have uh, anything you want to talk about, feel free to come up to me afterwards. I would love to discuss this with you. I think it's a very important topic for us as a church. So, um, is it okay if we pray? Okay. What we're, what we're actually going to do is uh, we're going to be taking up a love offering in just a moment here, uh, and it's specifically going to go to this farm project. Uh, I'm privileged I serve on the board of ICC, so the, the whole board is very, very excited about this particular project because it's very practical aid that is enabling these families and helping them. Uh, how many of you were aware of how bad the persecution actually is in Nigeria? How many of you knew that thousands are dying every year? See, you, you don't hear this on the news very often. It's not something that's talked about. Uh, we are much more familiar with Boko Haram than we are with the Fulani situation. But this is the reality. Right now in Nigeria, somebody is suffering. And it's imperative for us to stand with them. Uh, I wrote a note to some pastors this week. We've been praying for the persecuted church and a group that I help lead here with pastors. And one of the comments I made is, if we don't suffer with those who suffer, if we don't grieve with those who grieve, that doesn't say anything about their connection to Christ and his body. It does say something about my connection to Christ and his body. We need to be there and to be engaged and to be involved. One part of the body suffers, and we have a great opportunity to join in. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have uh, a chance. Now we're going to take up a love offering. Uh, everything that comes in is going to go to ICC and specifically to this farm project in Nigeria for us to continue working. We're, we're hoping to see this thing continue to grow. There's other potentials that may be happening here in the future. Uh, and I want to remind you, as Johnny mentioned, 
This is happening because this is the forefront of where the gospel is moving forth. Make no mistake, the fastest growing churches in the world are virtually all in places of persecution. The, the church is growing. I just saw a report this week from Iran that one of the Iran religion ministers is getting very frustrated at how fast the church is growing in Iran right now as we speak. Uh, they're projecting by 2050, six of the 10 most populous uh, Christian nations in the world are going to be in Africa. The gospel is moving forth in leaps and bounds. But where the battle is raging hot, there are casualties. There are, it's just part of the conflict. And we want to be there and support them. So uh, we're going to take up the love offering. Everything will go there. If you didn't bring something and you want to give, if you just write an IOU, Say, you know, ICC, IOU, we will trust you. The church will give uh, give it, and then you can get it back to us later. You can also jump online. There was a link in the bridge. Uh, you can go online and give right now as well, and all of that. We'll be collecting all of that and giving it forward. And then in a moment, we're going to have the missions team come forward and pray for Johnny. One last thing. We do have books outside. Oh, it's yes. it's um about lessons that we've learned from the persecuted. It was written by the or, uh, the president of ICC and his experiences over the past 30 years as he's done this kind of work. So uh, feel free to pick one up out front. Um, they're on the yep, little welcome center. Welcome center. Yeah, and that that's ICC's gift uh, to everybody here because we're taking up the love offering and doing all that. So if you want one of them, you can grab one. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for a chance to to partner together. Uh, Lord, what a, what a miraculous thing it is. You see and know each one of these stories. You are uh, sovereign over all, and yet you give us the privilege of being part. So we pray, Lord, as we give right now to support this work, Lord God, I pray that you would take it, that you would multiply it, Lord, and it would be able to encourage and help these believers who are suffering. Father, we heard one story this morning. The reality is there are thousands and thousands and thousands of these stories. Father, we want to support these believers to see them encouraged and strengthened that they can continue standing and watching the gospel grow throughout the Middle Belt and the northern area of Nigeria, Father, and pressing out through the rest of Africa. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're whispering as to whether my daughter-in-law was going to come up front, but she's not. So <laughs> that's what we were talking about. And that, I, I didn't say that it was Nora. I just said it was my daughter-in-law. Um, so if, if I can go ahead and have the missions team come forward, uh, we're going to pray for Johnny and Linda. And Linda can come forward. Uh, we're we're going to pray for him, uh, ICC, and the situation in Nigeria. And then we'll have a word of benediction in a couple of moments uh, from Psalm 67, actually, because it's very appropriate for what we're doing. So um, we're going to go ahead and be praying uh, for Johnny. I guess Jason's not here today. So okay, it's me and all the ladies. So anybody want to pray? Lord God, just so thankful for Johnny um, and his report today, and. Um, as he was saying, we are so separated from these issues, and um, it, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel um, so distant 
from us. Um, but Lord, you are sovereign. You know the faces. Um, you know the names of every person across the world in Nigeria and everywhere else who have suffered in your name. And Lord, we pray for them today. Lord, I want to pray for Maurice. I want to pray for her, the pain that she's had. Lord, yes, I pray Lord. that this pain yes, would be resolved, uh -huh. that she would just take it away. Lord, I pray yes, that Lord, she'd Jesus. be able to go and get medical care without mm -hmm. um, feeling like she, um, without feeling fear. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray that she would be able to work the farms and she would be able to take care of her family and do the things that she needs to do. Lord, I thank you for the joy that she still has in her heart. Um, Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless her, that she would um, continue to feel your presence, Lord, that she would continue to feel that joy, Lord, that joy would continue to yes, increase yes, despite Lord. her circumstances, Lord, mm -hmm. despite all the things that are going on. And Lord, as we've already said, Maurice is just one of the thousands of, of uh, men and women who have suffered in your name. Lord, I pray for all of them. I pray for their pain to be relieved. But more than that, Lord, I pray for your presence to be felt in all of their lives, for their joy to continue um, to uh, increase. Yes, and Lord. that they would, um, and that the, that your Holy Spirit would reign in their lives. Yes. Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us without hope and help, and it not only in the spiritual realm, but in the very practical realm. And we thank you for organizations like ICC and Voice of the Martyrs who are working uh, to ease the pain and difficulty faced by your children in these situations. Lord, we ask that you would give great wisdom and uh, insight, understanding, and resources to all those in leadership and working there, especially for Johnny. We ask that you would continue to bless and inspire him, um, give him joy in his work, keep him safe as he travels. In your name. Yahweh, I just ask that you would break our hearts mm -hmm. for what breaks yours. Yeah, I just ask that you would um, help us to feel in a really real way um, the plight of our fellow family members around the world. Yahweh, that we would, um, that the eyes of our hearts would, would see um, our lives and the, the world around us um, in a changed way, knowing knowing in a deep way that we are connected to your body, your body that's suffering. Yeah, we ask that we would conduct our lives um, in a way that would be worthy of, of the gospel um, and that we would join, join together in a powerful way to, to lift up um, those who are suffering. Um, I thank you so much just for the incredible encouragement that it is um, to know that that the body is growing um, most, most rapidly um, in these places where there is persecution. Um, it kind of makes my mind do a somersault um, as far as like our lives here and our lack of persecution and um, how easy it is to become lukewarm. Um, and yeah, we, we can't fabricate um, that, um, just that need for you um, here as, as we sit in our comfort, but I just ask that you would help us to catch a glimpse um, of, of what is going on elsewhere and that we would be um, spurred on to, um, to really dig in deep and, and press in to you, um, even on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world. I thank you also for um, ICC and what they're doing, and I just ask that you would 
um, put a hedge of protection around them, Yahweh, that um, yes, the enemy would not prevail, um, but that there would be just incredible fruit um, and that your, your um, love and joy would just be um, so evident um, as it is that you would just multiply um, yes, multiply their efforts um, and just help us again to get behind behind that in a really real way in yes. your name. Father God, I thank you so much for the heart uh, that Johnny has for those that suffer. Um, Lord, it's <laughs> been such an amazing thing to watch uh, as he's grown and um, as he's come into being such a, a wonderful man of God. I pray that you would protect that sensitive heart, um, that you would guide him in how he grow as he's growing in it. Lord, I pray for their family, Lord God, with all of the travels that uh, he does. Lord, I pray that you would protect their relationship. Lord God, I pray that he and Nora would grow deeper in love each and every day. Lord, and I know they're, they're, they're away from each other quite a bit, and I just pray that you would just protect them, Lord God, and, and just in all of his travels, Lord God. But I thank you, Lord, for him. I thank you for his heart, Lord God. That, um, that we've seen this amazing man of God just come out um, of, uh, of a, just a, a wonderful um, life, uh, Lord God. Father, I do pray for all of these different areas. Lord, as, uh, as the board is meeting for ICC this week, Lord, I pray that you'd anoint and fill us with wisdom that we can know how best to help your suffering church around the globe, Lord God. We, we want to use everything you give us wisely. Uh, Father, we want to have insight and, and know how. Father, I thank you for all of the people there that are working and giving themselves over, Father. They could be doing other things, but they are supporting your church. I pray, Father, that you would bless and anoint and keep them, uh, Lord God, throughout the work that they're doing. Um, Father, we pray for your church that is suffering. Uh, Father, we, we've heard these stories right here in Nigeria. Father, it's a very important country. I pray for the gospel to prosper there. Father God, there are forces that would want to keep that from happening. Father, I pray that it would not be a 50-50 split. Lord, I pray for those 12 states where there is Sharia law. Father, I pray that the freedom of the gospel would rise up, that it would spread out. Lord, it says in your word, uh, Father, we, we've seen from the very beginning, Lord, Cain struck down Abel. But Father, you said that Abel uh, still speaks by faith, Lord God. Father, we see that when your children were in Egypt, they were oppressed. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and grew. Father, we pray the same thing would happen here, Lord. I pray for the prospering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for the day, Lord, when we would look and, and the gospel would have spread throughout all of northern Nigeria. Father, I pray... Uh, as well for those who are persecuting. Lord, I pray. Father, I remember being in Niger and being part of the baptism of a young Fulani man who had come to Christ, and he had had to flee and leave his own tribe because they were trying to kill him. But, Father, he had embraced the gospel. I pray for more and more Fulani to come to Christ, Lord, throughout sub-Saharan Africa. Father, I pray 
for, uh, Lord, the, the people in Boko Haram, Lord God. I pray you turn the Apostle Paul from a persecutor to an apostle of the faith. Father, I pray you would do the same thing here uh, in Nigeria, Lord God, that you would move in a mighty way. Father, we want to hear more and more stories of people turning to the faith. And Father, as they do so, I pray that that would be an encouragement to the church there. I pray for the pastors uh, there, Lord God, this man who lost a son and still has to teach the Scripture and teach the people in the congregation to not hate their enemies, Lord God, but to respond in love. Father, I pray you would anoint and encourage and strengthen them. Lord, hear our prayer for your suffering church. Lord God, Jesus, you stood up and spoke to the Apostle Paul and asked why he was persecuting you. Father, we know you feel when your children suffer. Jesus, you feel when your bride suffers. Holy Spirit, you feel it when the temple that you are building and in which you dwell is being destroyed. Father, we pray you would rise up, that you would protect your people, and Father, we pray that you would spread the gospel. Lord, we pray that the light would shine and you would call people out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, we are grateful. We ask that you would do all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ for your glory and for the good of the people you love. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to do an extended uh, bit of benediction this morning. It's one we've used a lot. It's Psalm 67. But I pray as you hear near the end, uh, as we have just sown as a congregation in prayer and in finances regarding these farms, uh, I pray you to receive this blessing and go forth and spread it. May God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that his ways will be known on earth, his salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May the, all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest. As God our God blesses us, may God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen. For more teachings and resources or to learn more about the mission's work that Bay Ridge supports, please go to www.brcc.church.